to the first episode of Eight and Three Quarters Disrupt in Hollywood. I'm Marta Arnani, your host, and this is brought to you by Dinlo. For this first program, I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Ellie Guzman. She's a comedy TV writer, and let me tell you, she's one of the funniest people you're going to listen to. Ellie's currently staffed at DreamWorks on a soon to be announced animated show. She's also written for Apple Plus, Disney, Netflix, Peacock, you name it. She's the author of the book Rocks to Rocks, a collection of funny essays about being the poorest kid in the room. And she's a USC alumna. I can't wait for you all to listen to this program. We talk about life-changing moments, working up the corporate ladder to become a staff writer, and why Andrew Garfield is the best Spider-Man. Let's jump in. Hi, Ali. Hi. Welcome to AM3 Quarters. Um, We're very happy to have you. Um, why don't you start telling me a little bit about yourself? Hi. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Um, so my name is Ellie. I grew up in L.A. Um, I'm Salvadoran American. My parents were both, you know, born and raised in El Salvador. Uh, I came to USC and I studied human biology a long time ago, uh, 2011 to 2015. And yeah, I was pre-med. I worked at the Norris Cancer Center at the Health Sciences Campus, did some research uh, there. And then, yeah, graduated, started working in an emergency room. But I... Okay, oh, let, let, me, let me just stop you. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> weird random. Okay, because there, there's a detour here, right? Um, you came to USC. You ever thought of studying film here or did never cross your mind? So, so I, okay, I got in as an anthropology major and then in orientation, I heard about business with an emphasis in cinematic arts. Okay. And I was like, oh, I can weasel my way into the cinematic arts school mm. if I do that. So then I started taking classes in that major, but it, I just, I think it, I, like I was 18. There was a big culture shock. I felt all this pressure of like, I have to make money for my family. And I, it just wasn't clicking with me. So I ended up switching to human biology because at the time I was just like, oh, hey, uh, doctor, money. <laughs> uh, and it's nice. You know, you help people. And I have the stomach for it. So I was like, all right. But I was never like good at it. Like I had to do an extra semester to graduate uh, I, you know, like I said, like I did cancer research, I volunteered in the emergency room at L.A. County and like working with patients was really rewarding, but it just wasn't for me. But yeah, I, I always had the instinct to like, like in high school, I took like a screenwriting class that they offered. And like here I would like add a screenwriting class and then take it off my schedule because I just kept telling myself, like, you know, stop wasting your time. It's not going to happen. Just devote yourself to trying to get into med school and that's really the mindset actually I was in the last time I was really here so it's really weird coming back to campus and like being a tv writer being like oh crap that's the same person that was gonna be my next question how yeah. does it feel to be back at USC now that your life is so different you're doing nothing related to science right or to healthcare <laughs> yeah you are a comedy television writer of all things um how is the flashback happening it's so I'm like half like oh yeah I'm the shit like I'm so proud of myself like this is amazing but also half of me is sad for you know because when I was a student here my mindset was just like get in get into the school and then get out so I was very like point a to point b 
Um, and I, I, looking back now, I think I didn't take enough advantage of being at literally the best film school in the whole like planet. Uh, and also just, you know, like talking to more students, joining organizations, watching more shows. Uh, I was just kind of a hermit, uh, and working multiple jobs. So I just blasted through it. But yeah, being back at, I'm like, oh, that this was my life. Like this was an entire chapter in my life. It's very weird. It's very weird. I but, can imagine. But I also feel really good about myself. <laughs> You're a very in a very, very sweet spot in your career. We gotta talk about that. So <laughs> it's a good time to be back, I guess. Um yeah. Okay, so you graduated with a degree in human biology, right? Mm-hmm. Um you started working in ER. When did this career switch happen? How did it happen? What's the story behind that? So I graduated in uh, December 2015. That's when I was done with classes and I could not find a job. And I was looking for work in healthcare because I wanted to do like a post back to kind of make my health grades a little better before I could um, apply to med school or PA school or whatever. So I started this humor blog online to like pass the time. And I was just writing really stupid shit, <laughs> like just dumb, silly, you know, whatever. Uh, and then around six months after I started the blog, that's when I got the job in the emergency room. Okay. So I kind of was like doing Hannah Montana of like going and working in the ER and being serious and wearing scrubs and, you know, going to the traumas and taking notes. But then when I got home, I was writing comedy and like dick jokes and just, you know, posting my writing online and stuff and talking comedy with other people. So the blog is what got me into contact with TV writers as the blog got more popular because it kind of blew up. And there came finally the day where they were like, oh, we have a PA opening, come interview. I got it. And then I had to decide, like, am I going to stick it out in the ER and try to apply to like healthcare professional school? Or am I going to take this opportunity as a PA and like try to work my way up? And I took the gamble uh, and it was a really fun conversation with my parents. But yeah, thankfully it paid off. Okay, this is blowing my mind right now. It's Sounds blowing like, my mind. Like a movie <laughs> this moment. This is bizarre. <laughs> I know. I, I, sometimes when I get bogged down, like, oh, I have a script to do and I have to do this. And then I'm like, oh, my God, it's a dream come true. It's, yeah. Absolutely. So, okay, tell me a little bit more about that. Um, you're writing your blog. Um, it's a comedy blog. Mm-hmm. And out of the blue, well, the, the, the blog is successful, as you say. You get a call. How how did you feel? How was this call? Who called? Like, <laughs> walk me through the process. So I got an email from Michael Ryan, who was the, I believe he was the st- uh, story editor, which in animation is like the head writer um, on All Hail King Julian. And he reached out to me and he was like, hey, we read your blog. We think it's really funny. Uh, we actually just promoted like our script coordinator, writer's assistant person. Do you want to come interview? And this happened in the space between me graduating and me getting the ER job. So at first I didn't believe it. I was like, oh, this is he's going to murder me in the parking garage or whatever. But I went and it was like at DreamWorks and it didn't sink in until I was like sitting there looking at all the Emmys and stuff around me. I was like, oh, shit. But I totally bombed that interview. Like I was not prepared. I didn't know the responsibilities of the job. But then after that, I emailed DreamWorks and was just like, you know, keep me in mind any lower level stuff like I'm available. 
but then I didn't hear back. And then some months after that is when I finally got the um, the ER job. So it took about a year from my initial interview with DreamWorks. Mm -hmm. And then I was working in healthcare. And then, yeah, I got a phone call um, that was like, hey, like one of the old writers now has his own show and there's PA openings. You should come interview. And I this is going to sound really like insufferable, but I kind of knew like, oh, if I don't mess this up, it's going to change my life. No pressure because uh, PA is actually attainable for me. It's entry level. Uh, so, yeah, I went and then I got it and I was actually sitting in the cafeteria at the ER in my scrubs on my break when I got the phone call and I still have a notebook that's like <laughs> the notes that I taken on the patients and then a page that's like, oh, my gosh, DreamWorks offering job like this is the starting salary. These are the benefits and like a bunch of question marks. Uh, it just felt like this is happening. And if I don't take this opportunity, I'm going to regret it forever. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds like. A life-changing moment, but also like a perfect moment, perfect opportunity to start in your career. For sure. And I would say that the the biggest thing that made a difference, too, was that I kept writing. Even after I didn't get the initial DreamWorks mm -hmm. job, like I kept the blog updated. So I still, they could see that I was still very interested, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, wow. So um, we leave the ER Mm -hmm. And we jumped into a PA role at DreamWorks, no less. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Because I know there's a long road from PA to staff writer. So yeah. how did that happen? How did you navigate all, <laughs> all those curves? Tell me a little bit more. I really lucked out. I got on this show called uh, Kung Fu Panda, The Pause of Destiny. Wow. That was back in 2017. Uh, and the team was just fantastic, really committed to helping us all grow. So I just, you know, I met the other PAs and coordinators and we all talked like, you know, oh, I want to be an editor. I want to be a production manager. I want to be a writer. Uh, and then we just helped each other. And I got to meet uh, Bethany Armstrong Johnson, who at the time was a production coordinator. Now she's a, um, a story editor on something. So she's awesome. But she really taught me like, okay, you go from PA to production coordinator to script coordinator, get some freelance And then you become a staff writer. Now it's just about chasing the next step on that ladder. So I was like, okay, I'm a PA. I need to be a production coordinator. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the best freaking PA I can be. But then I had to catch up to everyone and like learn animation because it's so technical. So I learned every step of animation from like the script outline to like animatics, post working with partner studios overseas. Like it was a great education um, in animation production. And then, yeah, I moved on to another show, became a production coordinator. Shortly after that, had the opportunity to become a script coordinator. And then I was like in the writer's room. So I just had to prove myself. And that's when, you know, freelance scripts started happening. I got a representative and then almost four years, I want to say, after I started, got staffed. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, it was, it's, it's never for sure, but I got really lucky that I got to work with people that were really like encouraging, you know? Okay. Uh, absolutely. And um, that's it. I, th I think personally, I think it's a very interesting, you know, road because the job as a PA and the job as a writer are completely different. Oh, completely. Mm -hmm. But I, still, it's something that you kind of need to go through to, you know, pay your dues or whatever it is to <laughs> grow up there. <laughs> so, um, Yeah, I just, I, I guess I'm curious to what did you learn or let me rephrase that. 
what did you find that you did not expect when you first entered the TV world and the TV writing world? Or what is something that you know now that you wish you had known when you started? Like, I always, I, I didn't understand how collaborative It mm -hmm. is like I looked at an episode of Spongebob, right? And I would think, oh, that was really funny. And I wouldn't realize like, okay, someone had to write that episode. Or <laughs> no, someone had to come up with a show, pitch it, work with an executive, refine it. Okay, we're going to do the show. We need to find a writing staff, right? Uh, like the writers in the room all day, breaking story, the assistants, you know, supporting everyone production busting their asses and then it goes to all of these different artists especially in animation like you have people designing characters and sets and props and it's not like oh spongebob needs to hold a stick just draw it like no there's meetings about that <laughs> stick and they have to do like uh many different versions of it and you have to pick one and then they fully color it and like it becomes an asset and it, there's just it, there's so many moving parts to animation um and being a PA it really helped me to see like the pipeline because yeah. now as a writer I know that I'm not going to be like oh, okay in this the uh, script there's like seven new characters and three new sets like you learn how to work within the confines of the budget I guess it also gives you like a better overview of who does exactly what or yes. who mm -hmm. you should ask for help in case of X and Y, that's very interesting. Exactly, yeah. And I, I really believe in collaborating between the board artists and the writers. Mm -hmm. Like that also makes stuff so much better. Absolutely, it makes sense. Okay, so how did this leap from script coordinator to staff writer happen? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> 50% luck of being on a team that was supportive to me, I would say. Uh 30% being ready, like having samples and mm -hmm. having, you know, w honed my craft or whatever. <laughs> and then 20% timing, uh, because it doesn't matter how talented you are. And if you're on the best team on earth, if there's not a spot for you, there's not a spot for you. Uh, but all of those worked out for me. But it took a couple years of being a script coordinator. Uh, but I got to work um, in a room first and do freelance And then work in another room. And I was script coordinator for them for a year before I got staffed. Uh, and yeah, it, it was like a tough transition. But I feel that being an assistant, being in the room, pitching, watching how other people mm -hmm. pitch and, you know, do cuts and punch ups. Uh, that's been really beneficial to me. It was like a boot camp, basically. <laughs> I was like training for the job for like two years. That makes sense. Um, tell me a little bit more about the room. like. I'm I'm curious about how is the energy in a writer's room? Because I guess um, most of us who enjoy writing have the experience of writing on your own in front of mm -hmm. your computer, that kind of like bohemian experience, <laughs> right? But but we've never, uh, we have no idea how it is to write with others or to like pitch ideas mm -hmm. to others. How does it work? Especially since, as you mentioned, uh, you're working from home. So like, yeah, how, how, does, how does that collaboration go? Um, yeah, so the writer's room. So I would say, you know, being remote, adds difficulty but the last room I was in was in person and it's pretty much the same okay. uh, you have a plan for the week depending on like what stage you are on the show so like if you're starting out on the show you're gonna break story together you're gonna like have premises right like what if the characters do this and that or like what's the plot for the whole season if it's a serialized show so you you usually do that stuff together mm -hmm. 
And then it'll be like, okay, well, now it's the week to work on Ellie's episode. We're all going to break the plot together. And, you know, it's like a casual, fun atmosphere. Everyone's trying to make the best show they can make. Sometimes it it gets a little frustrating because it's like, oh, I really like this, but it's not working and I want to put this thing in. Oh, we forgot about we already did this in another episode. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But it's fun. Like you're pitching jokes. And the important thing is everyone having a really good collaborative like attitude because that really like, you know, keeps the energy flowing because you're tearing apart the most minor details uh, but once you have a general idea of what you want to do with your episode, you send that to executives. They give notes. You refine again. And then you're sent off by yourself to like write an outline. And then you repeat that process a little bit more when you're doing like first draft, second draft. Um, but mostly from that point, you're on your own. But the room can still provide like punch ups. They read, you know, the different versions of your drafts. Um, and you're always getting executive notes throughout the entire process. So it's like a lot of it is writing Mm -hmm. and being in the room, but most of the job is like rewriting, (laughs) writing and punching up. And then even once you turn in the final draft, then it's going to go to, you know, it's going to be shot or it's going to go to the artists and, uh, more rewrites are going to happen. That makes sense. Um, I'm curious, especially in animation, how close do writers and story artists or like um, the people who like technically draw it, how close do you guys work together? Do they sometimes come to you and be like, this can't be done or this doesn't look as good as you think? When oh, you actually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, uh, which is good, right? You want people to speak up and be like, no, I, I think we can do this better mm. or no, you can't do this or we need a little more detail for this part or less detail for that part. Um, in when it was in person, like it was more collaborative, like it was easier because you could literally walk to someone's cubicle mm-hmm. and be like, Hey, I have this idea. How would you do it as someone that draws like action for a living? You know? Um, but now I, you know, it's tough working remotely, but like on this show that I am on now, it's just a matter. You, we just schedule more meetings so that we can talk and it's a little bit more legwork to meet. Because we're, you know, remote, but uh, we make effort to listen to each other. And sometimes we go to the board artist of like, hey, we saw this animatic, like maybe we change this. Oftentimes, like when they launch the animatics, they like we have a huge meeting with them and we talk to this through the script, literally like paragraph by paragraph, line by line. (laughs) It's like three hours. Sounds like an intense meeting. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, again, it depends on the personalities. You know, we keep it light. We keep it fun. And oftentimes, I mean, these guys have a totally different perspective. Uh, So it it just makes everything better. That that sounds like also like a fun group to work with. Oh, yeah. And they draw sometimes the funniest things that will never (laughs) see the light of day. Uh, Like there was a design recently that we couldn't do, but I just love it. I'm still going to print it and frame it because I I adore it, even if it's not in the show. That's just for you. Um, What's like the most fun show that you've worked in? If you can talk. Oh, man, I wish it. So it's not announced yet, Okay, but they're going to announce it soon, like in a matter of weeks, I think. Um, or a couple months. I don't know. It's up to them. <laughs> but uh, this show that I'm on now, I was script coordinator on it 
all of like basically all of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then I got staffed early 2021 and it wraps for me in like a month. It's even though it was during this horrible, you know, like (laughs) we were adjusting to quarantine and working remotely for the first time. The team is just amazing. The story and the characters, like I'm so excited for it to be out in the world. Uh, It is my favorite thing on earth. Where is it going to be? Netflix. Netflix. Mm-hmm. That's oh yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited I, to watch I it. can't wait. As soon as they announce it, I'm gonna text you and be like, <laughs> oh my gosh, okay, this is the thing I was talking about. I'm gonna be waiting for that text. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I feel like everyone's gonna be. Okay, so that's interesting. So you you you're wrapping you're basically wrapping this up yeah, um real soon. What's coming up next? What would you ideally like to be doing if you don't have like already uh an X project booked? Well, first off, I'm going to take a long nap uh, because I've been working nonstop this entire quarantine. Um, I have some freelance lined up. Freelance is a it's really the name of the game in animation, you know, especially for writing. Uh, So I have some of that, you know, I can make my own schedule. Uh, But then after that, I'm just I'm open to anything. You know, I I've worked with a few people now and I've seen a few people who can do like oh, they're working on an animated show, but they're developing like a live action movie for adults. But then they also have like an adult animated comedy, like kind of having a hand in everything. And not sleeping at all. And not sleeping ever. Yeah. (laughs) And I already don't sleep now, so it's perfect. Um, But yeah, that's the kind of career that I aspire to. So my short term goal is to be staffed on like either something animated or live action. How is your job different, I'm assuming very different between live action and animation, but maybe what are challenges that you face in animation that you don't have in live action or the other way around? You know, it's funny because like right now there's a huge movement that the Animation Guild is pushing to mm. like recognize animation writers because at the end of the day, it's the same job. Like you're in the room you're in the writer's room all day you're breaking plot, breaking story, doing punch-ups, taking executive notes, pitching to your showrunner, pitching to the studios, uh, doing a million rewrites, working with different departments. And, you know, animation writers don't have a set to go to. That's true. But we do have voice records. You know, the talent still records. Like, we're still mm-hmm. working with talent. We're still doing punch-ups and stuff from the from what the talent records. So it's kind of awful because there's a huge pay disparity between animation writers and live action writers, but it's the same freaking job. Uh, so, yeah, right now it, it's like I believe hashtag pay animation writers is the big thing, uh, the movement uh, and hashtag new deal for animation. And it feels weird saying hashtag in real life. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag blah, blah, blah. Um, like this is how I talked in 2012 when I was here <laughs> at school. Um, but yeah, the the pay is a huge because it's a double edged sword, right? Where like the jobs in animation last longer, yeah. but you're paid less. But in live action, you're paid much more, but the room is only like six weeks. So there's pros and cons to both. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's the same job. Could you give us like an approximate of how much you could be paid for an episode for animation versus live action just to get it? Oh, I can. <laughs> I've been dipping the weeds for this. Um, so an 11 minute freelance of animation comes out to, I believe, around $4,800 off the top of my head. 
um, which means that a 22 minute comes out to about under 10 grand. Mm. But in live action, I shit you not, it's like, I think, 40 or 50 grand. That's yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah. Right and there. the you can get the exact figures, too, if you look at like the WGA, their minimums, mm-hmm. the contract minimums, and then like the Animation Guild contract uh, minimums. It's like a 40 to 60 percent discrepancy. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I don't want to speak for the Animation Guild and like they're doing great stuff in those, you know, hashtag New Deal for Animation <laughs> posts. But, yeah, once you look at their figures and what they're fighting for, it's like, yeah, this is absurd. And it's also not just animation writers. It's like the board artists, the visual artists, uh, production staff, like everyone just give people more money. You know, they were working yeah. throughout the whole freaking pandemic. They kept the industry going. No, oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah. Anyway, that's my that's my soapbox. <laughs> I'm gonna take my earrings off and start fighting people. But yeah, I mean, absolutely worth to fight for. Um, <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. So, so regarding that, um, do you think, uh, or in your experience, uh, that's being repped help you get a more fair contract or like a better treatment when you're like freelancing? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's really helpful. I told my rep, like, I want transparency. Um, I think a lot of people think, oh, you're my rep. Just handle it for me. Mm. But I'm like, no, I kind of want to know, like, what's happening just because I don't come from that world. Yeah. You know, I'm like the first one in my family to do any entertainment thing. Uh, and uh, it, it so much of it is not transparent. But yeah, having a rep, having like someone to fight for me and him having the power of, you know, his company behind him. Like, it unfortunately is true that I do have more leverage negotiating. Okay, so then my next question has to be, how does a writer get repped? Like, what's the process to to be selected, I guess, by a rep? Or, like, how, and how does it change, like, the yeah. game for you? I would say it's a lot like getting staffed in that there's a million different ways to do it. Hmm. Like, you know, you can do the assistant route. You don't have to. Um, As far as getting a rep, like, you can have like if you, you know, as you move up, you make connections, you get to know people. Sometimes they offer to read you if they know that you want to be a writer and they'll be like, oh, yeah, your script was really funny. I'll send it to my rep and see if he likes it and then he'll get in touch with you or not. Right. Um, I got my rep because I. (laughs) <laughs> I made sure to put my name on every list that I could find that was like pre-WGA uh, women, pre-WGA Latinos, pre-WGA whatever, and like assistants who write, like everything that was like writers, uh, put your name and info here. I was like, cool, Ellie Guzman, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and having samples ready. Like mm-hmm. I had um, a couple live action and animation like ready to go. So as soon as someone wanted to read me, I was like, here. And I had punched those up, you know, through the years and with other aspiring writers and writers rooms and stuff, uh, writers groups. Uh, and yeah, that was my my way. Um, I had a few reps reach out, but it was it's kind of like blind dating. Like you need to see that you're compatible. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tuan, like my my current rep, he's really the only one that was like, let me give it to you straight. No bullshit. Like, this is how we're going to do this. And like, this is what we envision and how we're going to um, be collaborative. And I was like, great. Awesome. Done. And yeah, I've been working with him now for about ooh, a year and a half ish. Wow. Um, but yeah, he you know, he just got me meeting people. Yeah. And 
reps are really great at connecting you to people, but then it's kind of on you to like nurture those relationships. Absolutely. Um, on that note, uh, do you have any networking tips that you want to share with our listeners? Oh, yeah. So I, contrary to me sitting here right now doing this, <laughs> I hate talking about myself. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the way I was raised and like, you know, Latino culture is like be very humble or mm. whatever. Um, I, I just even as a PA trying to network, I was like, ugh, I don't want to be that girl that's like, I want to be a writer. Trying like, too hard. Eh. So in terms like I, it's different depending on the circumstance. Like if you're networking at work and you're an assistant, mm. Really put in a lot of work at being like the best assistant and making yourself like, like indispensable and then be like, oh, and I'm a writer. Because by that point, people will love you and be like, oh, you write? Like, what do you like to write? Blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Um, which can, you know, take a couple months or whatever. Uh, definitely like do the job first. And then, yeah, <laughs> just because I've seen people who don't and it's always a little like obnoxious. Um, but if you go to a networking event, everyone is there to network. I've gone to networking events before where I didn't talk to anyone because <laughs> I got so shy that I just like drank the free wine and then went home. And I was like, why the fuck did I <laughs> like spend all this time getting ready and going and like not talking to mm -hmm. anyone? Even it's the most painful thing on earth, but you get better at it with practice. Um, And then, yeah, you know, like there's so many talks now where people do like panels and, and shit and it's easier to reach out and be like, hey, I saw your panel on like, I don't know, uh, writing for animation. I'm really curious about blah, blah, blah. And sometimes people will respond, mm -hmm. you know, to emails. Sometimes they won't. Uh, in my case, I'll respond, you know, weeks or months later <laughs> just because life is insane. Um, but it, it, it's. It's just a game of getting comfortable with putting yourself out there and finding what you like, not what people want to hear, but what is actually like your interest, you know? Absolutely. How is networking looking today in the pandemic era where you don't go to so many events and drink the free wine and try oh, to yeah. talk to somebody? How, how has it changed? Well, the trick is I drink the wine at home. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, to me, honestly, it's gotten easier Because w when we weren't remote, I was in the office. Mm -hmm. So if it's like, oh, I wanted to like go get coffee with so-and-so, I couldn't yeah. unless I wanted to like drive across town. But now it's just like, oh, let's hop on a quick zo uh, Zoom, you know? Yeah. Um, but because it's kind of like it can be a little awkward remotely, I would say just like have questions that you want to ask. Do a little homework, you know, like everyone now has a website. <laughs> or like a Twitter or whatever, it helps to just be like, oh, I saw that you worked on, I don't know, this show and like blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's just about getting over the awkwardness. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious to know if you're still active on your blog, even oh, after um, being staffed and everything else. Um, has it helped you after this magical, fantastical from DreamWorks to meet people, be read by people, people being interested in what you write? Yeah, I, you know, I, I started the blog because it was something fun. Hmm. And it was like my fun hobby at the time was writing. Now writing is my job. <laughs> um, but every now and again, I'll post something. Okay. I, I usually post when I want to. 
I do feel a little bit like I'm neglecting it. I feel a, a little guilty. Um, but I, you know, working nonstop during the pandemic and quarantine and I just got so burned out. Um, it was one of the first things to go. And, you know, it's also helpful to have if you're a writer having hobbies that are not writing, like take a hike or learn to cook. Um, but, yeah, I'm I'm trying to get back into it. And then I also have uh, lady pieces, which I feel really guilty about. And that's the humor publication that I manage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, there's just no time, man. But, yeah, I, I miss it. Where can people find this blog and these lady pieces? Uh, it's also on Medium and okay. it is uh, it's basically it's like making fun of like, you know, those women's magazines like Cosmopolitan <laughs> and in style, like what keychain is correct for your tampon size and like that kind of very stupid uh, listicle thing. Um, but yeah, I've I've neglected it because I'm burnt out. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Oh, my God. Okay, I don't want to forget to ask you about your book. Speaking oh, about God. non-writing hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I burnt out? I don't know. Maybe because I've done 57,000. Maybe. <laughs> Tell me all about it. Tell me the story behind it. Where did inspiration come from? Um, how was the writing process? Yeah. So uh, with the blog getting popular a few years ago, this is back when I was a PA. At this point, I was getting like thousands of reads a month and everything. So, you know, I was like, well, I... I Some of my like the audience had been like, oh, are you going to write a book? Like, what would it be? And I thought, you know, I just like I love David Sedaris and also Amy Sedaris and just like that whole kind of like humorous mm -hmm. essay format. Uh, and I thought, you know, if I write that, it's going to be about like growing up poor and being the poor kid in like every room. Like I was definitely the poor kid here at USC. Uh, I was the poor kid once I started uh, working in the entertainment industry. And I was the poor kid like growing up here in LA and like just being around these weird neighborhoods and all of that. So I wrote, you know, I, I like a proposal and then I started working together with a publisher mm -hmm. and I really wrote the bulk of it when I was like a PA, mm -hmm. but it came out March 2020, which is a great time to have a book come out, by the way, um, because literally we were talking like, oh, maybe we'll do some readings at bookstores. It came out, I think, March 11th, 2020, celebrated with my friends at a bar and the then last time. <laughs> didn't know it would I literally got like highlights in my hair <laughs> I really thought I was that girl like oh I have highlights I have a book coming out uh, y'all can't take me and then the fucking pandemic happened <laughs> which is which is, is fine but well it's not fine but you know it's not important um but yeah oh man but I it's funny now looking back and I was like oh, I just started freelance writing. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea what's going to happen. Nobody had no idea. Nope. <laughs> okay. Um, where can people find your book? How is it called? Where can they buy it? So I thought, <laughs> I thought it was called Rags to Rags, but everything online says from Rags to Rags. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, it's on Amazon. And if we don't like them, it's also on IndieBound. Uh, and yeah, you can just look up like Ellie Guzman rags and it's there. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's the old book. It's, it's a really quick read. It's just a bunch of short, funny, dumb stories. Definitely check it out. Mm -hmm. Um, now that you've written 
this story that is a bit based on your personal experience. Um, what other stories do you have in your heart that you feel that you want to tell, even in your next project after you're done with this amazing series or in the future, maybe in another book? What do you have there at the tip of your fingers? My, like, my other soapbox is, you know, as a Latina woman uh, writing, unfortunately, in a space where there's not a lot of Latina women, mm -hmm. it is important for me to incorporate that, but I don't want anything to be, like, about that. Okay. Like, I think sometimes when you're a marginalized writer, you're expected to make, like, you know, like, oh, all of my stories are about, like, growing up first generation and my family and, like, abuela something something, but there's so much more that we can do you know we could do like cowboys in outer space or like zombie whatever or like some period piece you know like there's so many things we can do and personally I always go like comedy and I have some comedy samples and stuff and I have things that I want to sell uh I'm working right now on like a feature that's about Um, it's like a dark comedy about a Latino family, like navigating the concept of divorce and like how taboo it is and what happens when you're the eldest daughter and all of these expectations and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then I also have like adult animated stuff about like spies. So, you know, like the sky's the limit. Uh, and yeah, I, I just want to write whatever the hell I want without this expectation that it's going to be like, you know, the diversity diaries or whatever that's that, my second soapbox of the, of the of the show that sounds absolutely right is there any medium platform kind of writing that you haven't tried yet that you're excited to try oh yeah this feature is kicking my ass um i've only ever written tv okay so it is tough Uh, but it's coming, it's coming. But I kind of had to go back to school, you know, <laughs> reading all the, the books since I didn't study film, uh, reading all the scripts I could get my hands on. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I would just love, love to do live action. Um, I think that would be really fun. And I think I've read every single like live action script that's out there on the Internet because uh, I just, you know, my approach to stuff is study it before I do it. Um, little bio major uh, trauma there, but uh, yeah, an adult. I, I think the the big thing career wise would be like adult comedy because I've written for kids and it's fun, hmm. but I want to curse. I want to make dick jokes, and you know that's that's what I aspire to <laughs> in life. <laughs> yeah, in life. What's the biggest constraint writing comedy for kids? Besides not being able to say things like that, like what's something that you've always wanted to like push and they were like, no, this is not flying. Murder. No, we, we've gotten away with a lot on our show. I don't want to spoil anything, but I'll just say uh, cannibalism is one of the things that comes up, um, which was really fun. Um, I would say the biggest constraint is honestly, you have, because I'm an adult. I joke with my friends like adults. So you have to be creative. Like, how do you say what you want to say or make the joke that you want to make without resorting to that adult stuff? You know, you have to be creative. And like, like recently there was this uh, preschool thing that I wrote to uh, wrote for. And I had to say something like, oh, you have to slide to the left. And the exec note was like, oh, these little preschool kids, like they're not going to understand what left is. So you need to find another way to explain the concept of like the direction left. 
And I was like, what? That sounds like a philosophical challenge. Exactly. It, left is a construct. But you have to like really figure out how you're going to like work within that. So it's I think sometimes people look down on kids media, but it's actually pretty freaking hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it there's a lot of flexibility. You just have to be creative. Sounds like you, there's a lot of lateral thinking happening there and <laughs> a lot of extra creativity. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, we're close to the end. I could stay with you talking here for hours. <laughs> Same. Um, but um, before we wrap up, I just want to... Um, I need to do the eight and three quarters quiz. Oh, fine. <laughs> so this is just eight questions and a three quarters of a question um, <laughs> for you to reply with whatever comes to mind first. Okay. 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 Just going to read them. Okay. Ready? Okay. Okay. <gasps> eight and three quarters quiz with Ellie Guzman. Ready? <laughs> okay. What show can you stop binging? The After Party. Whoa. What book is on your nightstand? Uh Oh, God. What's the name? Um, something, the, you know, the Don Quixote version in mm. Spanish. Yeah. I'm trying to read it in Spanish and it, it's never going to happen, but I'm uh, whittling away at it. That's dense. And yeah. Coming from a Spanish person, I'm telling you. It's, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's your Hogwarts house? Um, unfortunately, Hufflepuff. Okay. If you said this at the beginning, there would be no program after that. <laughs> Look, I, I wanted to be a Ravenclaw. I wanted to be a Gryffindor. And they're like, no, you're Hufflepuff. You're a nice person. I'm like, uh. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Um, who's your role model? My mom and my dad. And... <laughs> Such a half a pop. If you could work with anyone in the industry, who would that be? Amy Sedaris. Shout out there. Um, if you could choose anything, what would your last meal be? Oh, man, that's tough. Full menu. My full menu? Oh, so I could go on forever. I could add like 10 million <laughs> things. Interesting. Um... For now, in this moment, um, this carne asada that my mom made for my 15th birthday. I don't know what the hell she put in it, but that shit was bomb. Oh, my gosh. Or pan con pollo. Pan con pollo. That would be it with like a ton of sauce on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds amazing. Oh, with cola champagne. Okay, that's my last thing. <laughs> dessert? Uh, dessert, dessert, dessert. Uh, those little tamarindo candies. Nice. That's the most Salvadoran answer. I'm mm. like aggressively Salvadoran. <laughs> Okay, if you could have that dinner with any one person dead of life, who would that be? Um, and it's my last meal. Or whatever dinner with the person of your choice, dead or, or alive, who would that be? Oh, my God. Um, shit. I'm trying to think of what could come. I'm like trying to put something in my mind. I already said Amy Sedaris for something else. Um, who would I, dead or alive? Shit, that's so many possibilities. Oh my gosh, okay, I know who. <laughs> I would do <laughs> Gerard Way, the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, because I was hardcore into their band in high school and I could be like, oh my God, I had dinner with Gerard Way. Like, wow, a uh, bucket list. That's an extremely cringe answer. <laughs> But he's also really creative, so I, don't know, I could pick his brain on stuff, you know? Why not? Okay. <laughs> Next, um, your house is on fire. What's the one thing you save? Oh, my computer, 100%. <laughs> well, hold on. Because a lot of my stuff is saved online. Um, shit. You know, out of guilt, it would probably be this, uh, this blanket that my grandma got me, even though she's, like, still alive and could easily get me another blanket. But I would feel so guilty. 
<laughs> and I, guilt, I feel guilty for the last question. <laughs> Final three-quarter question is, hold on, it's a very intellectual one. Oh, Who's shit. the best Spider-Man? <gasps> okay. Now listen. I know, I know what my answer is, and I don't want to get flamed. I'm going to say Andrew Garfield. Because. Unpopular opinion there. Because. Toby, like, okay, yeah, we've been there, like, whatever. He was the first one. Tom Holland, like, yeah, he's very in right now, whatever. But Andrew Garfield, everyone underestimates him as Spider-Man. Isn't that the most Spider-Man-iest thing? Also, he's really hot. Maybe I'll have dinner with Andrew Garfield instead. <laughs> and I'll be like, hey, what's up? Ooh, like, you know, whatever. Hi. And then my boyfriend will be like, what the fuck are you doing? I'll be like, nothing. It's Andrew Garfield. And he'll be like, okay, I understand. Just me here with the less like Spider-Man ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just having dinner with Andrew Garfield. Awesome. Okay. I um, really hope someday I get to work with either of you know, Jardway or Andrew Garfield and I die from shame about these answers. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Ellie, thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome to come back anytime. Of course. Thank you. <laughs>